Let's do this. The cult. I don't know if we got that first part. I'll start all over again. Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples with the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? I'm good. You're coming in loud and clear with no static. We were having a little mic trouble. So, you know, we are technical geniuses, though, aren't we, Bruce? And we figured it out. Oh, yeah. We figured out what it was causing the issue. Uh, thanks, everyone, for being here today. Uh, we're going to be talking Oilers' new line combinations and gambling odds on the, who will be the first NHL coach to be fired this new season, Bruce. Why don't we start there? Um, so the NHL gambling site, Bet Online, has put out odds on who will be the first NHL coach to be fired. And I was, as I was going down the list, I was actually kind of shocked to see that three Oiler former coaches were right near the top of the list. They aren't mm -hmm. at, at the top of the list. The top of the list has Jeff Blashill of Detroit, which seems like a good bet. He's had four losing seasons, or is it five now? Five losing seasons in a row. And that's uh, not good. Plus, they've had a change in, in uh, management with Steve Eiserman taking over. That's usually the other factor. There's Rick Tockett in Arizona next. Paul Maurice in Winnipeg. He's been there a long time, so you could you could see that if the Jets got off to a weak start. Bob Bugner in uh, San Jose. And then we get to um, Dallas Akins and Todd McClellan. Dallas Akins, Anaheim, Todd McClellan, L.A., Ralph Kruger, is in there with uh, Lindy Ruff and DJ Smith in a, in the uh, in a group. So I was a, you know, all these guys were just hired last year, Bruce. But of course, as we know from our time in the decade of darkness, uh, coaches can be fired very very quickly in the NHL, and one and a half seasons is not that uncommon. Dallas Aikens lasted how long did he one and a one and a third? Uh, Ralph Kluger, 113 games in Edmonton. Ralph Kluger, one year. One course, shortened Tom, season. One shortened season. And Tom McClellan got a pretty good run. I thought he actually, he he had enough time, in my opinion, to, to, to be evaluated fairly as Oilers coach. And I'm glad they made the uh, change. They also have Dave Tippett, and he's kind of in the middle group, Bruce. And um, at, at his odds are 25 to 1. Mm -hmm. Uh Dave, John Cooper, who's the safest coach, is at 50 to 1. So, you know what? I, in, in terms of the first coach to be fired this year, they've got Dave Tippett at, in the wrong spot. He, he, in terms of, like, there's a yeah. chance after this year, if the Oilers are a weak team the whole year, there's a chance Dave Tippett could be fired, I would say. But, Bruce, there is almost no chance he will be the first coach fired this year, given, yeah. given, Ken what Holland's preaching patience, his continuity, his well-established mm -hmm. record, which you have pointed out many times, of giving every player who comes in their fair chance at seasoning, additioning for the team. Ken Holland is – Dave Tippett will not be the first coach fired this year in the NHL. And no he, there, <laughs> there is no chance. No chance. And, well, you can never say no chance, but it's like 99.999. Well, I'll, I'll say no chance because, uh, you know, I just don't see – the first wave of firings will probably be, what, 15 to 20 games into the season? Typically, November is when, when teams start 
sacking their coaches. And, I mean, that's uh, uh, McClellan got sacked on November 20th. Mike Babcock got sacked on Mike, M- November 20th, just two that come to mind right away. That You know, 20 games in, if your team is going nowhere, that's the time. But uh, there's no way he gets fired that early. I can't tell you who, who will get fired ahead of him, but just that someone will, more than one someone. Yeah. The only like there could be some like lightning bolt from like maybe he said something in the past which is now deemed to be a horrible thing like you just never right. know yeah so so like I'm, I'm not saying guy, yeah. I'm not but, saying that's a possibility with Dave Tippett no. like it's, it's but just in terms of like can I imagine scenarios unrelated to the coach's what record you know? winning mm-hmm. record in the team in t- today's world right. I I can imagine that with a, with any individual on earth at, at this point so but let's just rule that out like if it's just right. hockey related. I'm, no yeah, chance. Yeah, no chance. Or li- just one in 10,000, I'll say, uh, a chance. I just don't see it. Um, but as, you know, Aikens, does he have a way of wearing out his welcome? I, I, that's unfair of me because he's a different coach. Much He's a much more experienced coach. Oh, and I, I think that they'll have patience with him in Anaheim. McClelland is, Rob Blake, is his, that's his hiring. I think they're going to have patience with Todd McClellan. Ralph Kruger in Buffalo, I don't know where he stands necessarily with the owner or the new management. I'm not, I don't know. But that's that's one kind of warning signal a little bit. Um, that When you get new management of a team, the, the guy who didn't hire Ralph Kruger, right, as the boss, that's sometimes a, a, a warning signal. Plus, there's the heightened expectations with, with uh, Buffalo this year. They've got Jack Eichel. They've signed Taylor Hall. So I, I could see... Kruger, I think Kruger is uh, rightly near the top of that list. You know, if you're going to make a list like this, um, Kruger, that makes sense to me. Well, here, here's a clue. Tip last year's standings upside down and look and see how it looks. They, got, they, have, they list nine guys <laughs> on the hot seat and seven of them are the seven who missed the expanded 2014 playoffs last year. So, it's a safe way to do a list like that. Yeah, it's a very so, sound way. That's sound methodology. It, We'll it follows that uh, all of Dallas Aikens, Todd McClellan, and Ralph Kruger, the three former Oilers coaches, none of them even made the 2014 playoffs last year. So that's a interesting coincidence. Yeah, Bob. Bucher. Meanwhile, Dave Tippett did make the playoffs or the play-ins at least. Yeah, I wonder why they have Paul Maurice there. Like, I guess because he's been there so long and had lots of chances, and they might want to shake it up a little bit. And I don't know if the new economics of the NHL will have any impact on, on, and the COVID shortened season, like the the weird circumstances. I mean, you don't need to fire the coach to to shake things up to sell tickets, at least, right? right. Like to the games, that's not going to be a factor. I don't know how much of a factor that's been in recent firings in the NHL. My my guess is that they won't really have it. There won't really be that much of an impact. That we'll see kind of a fairly normal season in terms of firings. Maybe if you less than just because it's hard to bring someone in uh, uh, in the COVID world, have people move about. It's just, it's easier just to, for things to remain static just because it's hard for people to move. And it's. Well, typically it's an interim coach anyway, once, once a guy gets fired. So it's a guy already on staff or or within the organization. So, but uh, it may be a different, different type of season in that respect, just because there's, you know, so many restrictions in place. 
So Holland in his years, 25 years, I think it was in Detroit, or was it 23, 25, 23, I think. Uh, he had 22. Four, 22 as the GM. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had four coaches, Scotty Bowman, Dave Lewis, Mike Babcock, and Blashill. And the, the only one he, he only kept around for two years was Dave Lewis, who was between Bowman and Babcock. And the team had looked every bit as good in the regular season under Lewis, but they went out on the playoffs. Right. And um, so, so Holland has fired a coach after just two years. That's the only case of it. The other times he hasn't, including with Blashill. He showed a, he showed a tremendous amount of patience with Blashill. Probably a recognition that the, that the team was rebuilding. He was part of that. He was part of the mistakes or the process that led to the rebuilding. So he's no hypocrite. Like he, he's no, or he's no back buck passer, I guess. Like, he, you know, he was taking responsibility in a way by not firing the coach. That's the GM um, resisting that urge to blame someone else and kind of wearing it and saying, no, this is, we're in this together and this is the process. So, you know, I, I, I don't, I haven't read why he got rid of Dave Lewis after two years. But um, there must have been some things that, that um, you know, he was dealing with the championship caliber team that wasn't advancing in the playoffs. So I think it was probably just thinking we're not going to. There's some reason here that I don't think we're going to advance under with Lewis as the coach. And we just need to shake it up um, in that regards. And with an older team, you always have, you know, that Detroit team always had older veterans cycling through. There was always kind of an urgency to win um, with that team, with the players that they had. So I can see why he might have done it under those circumstances. This Oilers team is kind of in, it's kind of between the terrible Red Wings and the Stanley Cup Red Wings that Holland had. It's kind of a team on the cusp. So I I just, even after this season's over, Bruce, it would take a mighty step back from the Oilers this year for a tippet to be fired. And it's something that I had not, again, not thought about. So I would, they would almost have to finish last in the Canadian division and be, I could see it then, but if right. they're if they're in the playoff fight in the Canadian division, even if they don't make it by mm-hmm. a little bit, I would see Tippett coming back. Well, unless Connor McDavid goes in the you know headlines and says yeah. either he goes or I go, you know. But I mean, what are the chances or of that be- happening? Be- One in ten thousand. <laughs> yeah, that's or behind the scenes he did that. Right. Uh, going in the headlines of him doing it, it's that's that's another. <laughs> Long, long odds. I'm spoofing to some extent, but I mean, that's basically what it would take is something completely off the charts like that. I just don't see it. Yeah. Uh, Bruce, Dallas uh, Stars have, what, six six players who have tested positive for COVID Mm -hmm. and two staff members. This is not, especially, uh, I would say, especially in the early stages of the NHL um, process for this season, it's not unexpected. So I, I will say that it's not an unexpected. We've seen it early on in the playoff, like the when they came back in June, there was cases, and then they eliminated the cases. World Junior tournament that we just saw, cases early on, no cases. Right. The difference is I think we're going to see cases throughout this season. I no think bubble. because there's no bubble. Uh, and they, they, we're just going to have to roll with the punches. I'm just hoping it's not the Oilers that are hit hard with this kind of thing. And... Um, I think it's less likely in the Canadian cities just because community spread in the Canadian cities is um, almost without exception lower than than across the United States. Um, community spread is higher in almost every single American jurisdiction compared to almost every single Canadian jurisdiction. That changed for a short time with Manitoba. 
uh, being higher, but um, like 40 of the American states are, are always higher than any Canadian provinces, yeah. I think, a, a safe comment. So I think we're going to see it less likely in Canada, but we will see it now and then, and they'll just so- soldier on, I guess. Yeah, well, Dallas, uh, in the case of Dallas, they've actually already postponed their first three games of the season, so that's not a promising start. And we also have reports of a, of a uh, issue in Columbus, which has not uh, yet been uh, um, uh, detailed, but it sounds like there's there's problems there. Like they they shut down their practice facility, I think, for today and tomorrow. Is the details we do know? Is that right? Okay. Yeah. So that uh, that doesn't sound too good either. But I think you know it's like baseball, or we've seen a little bit in the NFL that um, uh, you know teams have a, have something an issue and then uh, uh, they either reschedule like they did in baseball I mean goodness uh, my Cardinals I think they had to play about 10 double headers down the stretch to catch up after they had like an extended time off in the beginning of the season and hockey and double headers don't exactly mix so uh, hopefully there will be no one team that gets seriously behind the eight ball but I I can see a scenario where they sort of schedule in a, a week between the season and the playoffs for makeup games. I'm just Googling right now, private inoculations, COVID USA here, Bruce, mm-hmm. because okay. um, I would not, I don't know what the um, vaccination regimen is in the States right now. I know what it is in Canada. Um, it's being administered by the government on a, on a need basis, generally speaking. Um, but I would not be surprised in the States if there is going to be some private uh, vaccination going on and uh, private private distribution in the States. Anyway, I, I, I'm not going to at, try to answer that question right now, but I wouldn't be surprised, Bruce, if, if the American teams um, do get vaccinated uh, quicker than the Canadian teams through some kind of private system. Wouldn't shock me. Um, that that happened. Whether you know, you can debate about whether whether that's right or wrong, and I don't. I'm not going to get into that debate. Bruce, the Oilers have new lineup today for their scrimmage game, which was not televised by the Oilers. And there's a there's some criticism online from hardcore fans. Uh, they tend to the the kind of people that I tend to follow on Twitter, the hardcore fans, and converse yeah. with all the times, and they are not happy. A lot of the American teams are showing the scrimmage games. Mm-hmm. Um, the Oilers did show it yesterday. Uh, I understand maybe Gene Principe had a hand in that, right. uh, getting that on, get, getting that online for us. But they they didn't wear numbers on their sweaters. Yeah, they, I crazy. guess maybe it was a last minute thing. Listen, this is the Oilers can do what they want. They're a private company, and this is. I just think it's a missed opportunity for them. Um, yeah. There would have been a certain Sell percent. maybe they didn't want to hire maybe there was a complication hiring a cameraman or something but just even if you don't have an announcer and how hard would it have been to have an announcer maybe that would have been impossible like like couldn't they set up jack michaels and bob stoffer at their broadcast table like and just broadcast how hard would that have been is it impossible they're broadcasting from home now in mobile studios from their homes anyway i just I just wish, like as a hardcore fan and someone who talks about the Oilers, I am not. Ha- I would wish they would have broadcast those games with numbers on their backs. I think it would have been a lot yeah. of fun for Oilers fans, and they would have got they would have got a few between somewhere between one and ten thousand people over, you know, looking at those games, looking at those scrimmages. 
So it's still not too late in the, with the next scrimmages to get it right. So hopefully that right. will happen. Yeah, and I agree with you on the numbers. I mean, I, I did not get a chance to watch the thing live yesterday, but I did see the highlight packages that the Oilers posted after about a five or six minute video package. And honestly, it was hard to tell who was who. I mean, yeah. there were some people that were unmistakable, right? Like <clears throat> Leon passing to Connor for the game winning goal or scrimmage winning goal in overtime. And not only did Leon not celebrate, as soon as the puck went in the net, he just skated off to the bench, you know, like a boss. And, you know, there's no mistaking that body language. But some of these guys, you know, they just, I mean, they're hockey players. And you can tell if they shoot left or they shoot right, but you can't read the little tiny numbers on their helmets. And, uh, I mean, we don't even know uh, the body language of a number of the new guys. So putting numbers on their backs would have made, made sense. And don't make them all number 12 either, in due respect. But uh, <laughs> that, that was confusing also, I guess, is what I'm remembering from last summer. They, they could wear the number have, 12 on their shoulder. They or each or have, yeah, then they sh maybe they should for the entire season. And, uh, yeah. and like I say, no disrespect, but uh, the numbers have always been a major, major informant of who the heck is doing what out there. And I, I've been a numbers, sweater numbers guy since 1963. And I don't think it's going to change. And when they're not there, it's kind of, kind of, well, wait a minute. Oh, that looks like, oh, that, you know. Were you okay, Bruce, with Pulley Arvey in number 98? Was that, did that ever rankle you? Uh, you know, actually, uh, it did. It did. Uh, yeah, it did. Uh, only because. You're taking I, your I, life in your hands here, man. When I, write, when I write the player grades, uh, I always write them in numerical order. You uh -huh. probably noticed this over ten it's one years. One of your one of your interesting quirks, yes. It's, yes, it's 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 uh, yeah. I mean, I'm a numbers guy. It's, so it's I do the lines. Place. I put sweaters. Them in there. Yeah, yeah. I know. And 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 Kurt does line defense pairing. Next line, next defense pairing. Yeah. We all have our ways. My way is this uh, sweater number. Only, and I always preferred to sort of wrap up with McDavid. So when Paul Yarby took 98, sort of, you know, well, here's this sort of coda at the end of the of the uh, most important player's comment. And so I'm not disappointed that he changed just for that reason, which is, I mean, it's got nothing to do with him. You know, who does he think he is going between 97 and 99? Well, it's a distinct number. He was born in 98. He's doing what a whole ton of previous orders. From Sam Gagne, Magnus Piarby, Ryan Nugent-Hopkins, Connor McDavid have all done. So, it, it you know what I, I I hadn't even ever thought about it um, that much, but uh, I was hoping, like strangely enough, strangely enough that he wouldn't change numbers, and it was and it was for my own superstitions. There's always superstitions around numbers, but it was my own superstitious reason that I was hoping he wouldn't change numbers, because. The most similar narrative we've had to Yesapulia Yarvi in the last decade is Neil Yakupov. And in his second, you know, in some different attempt to change his luck with the Oilers and change the narrative and change everything, he changed numbers from 64 to 10, was it? Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, that didn't work out. So I was hoping, I was, a, don't, you know, I had it in my, I don't know why I was thinking of this, but I just said, I hope he doesn't change numbers. So for what that's worth. You know what, in, in terms of the 98 thing, and Jim Matheson, our, the, uh, my longtime colleague at the Edmonton Journal, who's, who's been a fantastic colleague and a friend of the cult of hockey, you know, has participated mm -hmm. in our player rankings. Um, you know, he got in a lot of hot water for, for crabbing about this. 
And um, I, I would just say, like, people need to understand. Like, uh, I, I can understand them. You know, if you you think this is a petty thing for for anyone to men- mention it, but the NHL is this weird culture, and mm-hmm. these kinds of things do matter. This might be shocking to people who aren't part of it, but there is a strict hierarchy. And there are all kinds of unwritten rules around that hierarchy in the NHL. And I did a a series of stories a few years ago called The Oilers Way with Barry Stafford, who was the trainer on the Oilers and was the trainer on more champions. He was involved in more championship teams between Stanley Cups, Olympics, World Champions, like U of A Golden Bears than anyone else in hockey in his in their lifetime. He, he, I think, has set the record. He he was on 15 major championship teams, Bruce. And so he saw what winning teams do, and he just stressed this, that there is this, these all of these unwritten rules in hockey about how, what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do. And I don't know, and I don't know if, like, if it was just Maddie upset about Pulley Arvey wearing 98, or if this was a bigger thing, if if in some way Pulley Arvey broke an unwritten rule, I can't say or not, but strikes me that that's a definite possibility here that this is this might have been going on. Now that, and again. That might sound weird to you. It might sound weird, like what? Weird to me. But in the world of hockey, that might have happened. That's all I'm saying. Well, I'm told that 13 is a lucky number in Finland and that Friday the 13th is a lucky date. So maybe, oh, for, makes... Yessa, maybe for Yessa, 13 is the, is the answer to, to that really. His, uh, <laughs> that cheered me, that cheered me up because I had this superstitious reaction to it because you know, of the Yakupov thing, which is completely like what they're not related. Like they're two different people. What does it matter? Like it doesn't like there's no relationship there. But uh, I'm glad to hear that nonetheless. It it, uh, it soothed my superstitious fear, Bruce. So thank you. I got that from Freya 1987 on Twitter, who's a huge Yessa <laughs> fan and a Finn. The hugest. And who knows her stuff? Yes, he yes, a you fan, the hugest, other than Dustin Nielsen, perhaps. Uh, and I'm also, I'm also a big Yes RV fan. So, and hey, Bruce, what I noticed with him is there's this like, there's a lot of positive vibes around Yes RV mm-hmm. right now, both in all the messaging from the team, and um, you know just little things popping up on the internet, like his fight with Alex Chase on. Uh, mm-hmm. battling it out, which I thought was interesting because these are actually two guys who are battling for the same spot. Literally battling so, for position. Yes, yeah, literally battling. So it's not surprising to see those two guys mix it up and maybe Chase on initiate something with them because Chase on's the veteran, right? Like, okay, rookie, like everyone's, every, there's a glow about you, rookie. Let's see, let's see you, uh, if you can take something. So, but there's all of these little videos coming out and narrative around him which is entirely positive right now even from some people who have been more negative about him in the past so i'm glad to see that and i just hope he can make good on on well, the good vibes even reading the subtext of uh, of maddie's comment there about the 98 is that he did note with approval that he changed his number to something more acceptable so it's sort of his well now now you know he's more one of the regular guys things are going to be better was kind of what i read into that maybe Maybe yeah, not. fair enough. I didn't word it, word it the best, but it sounded like he was sort of giving him a pass from something, uh, some kind of past transgression, and that the new Yeso was was going to be more conforming to whatever it is we're supposed to be conforming to. I think that is <laughs> an, uh, a sound read, actually, of what Maddie was 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 saying, and maybe if he just changed the order of the things that he was saying and. Uh, he would have got a little less grief on Twitter. I don't know if Maddie, if that bothers Maddie to get the grief on Twitter. Well, he, I mean, he yeah, got a lot he of it. Likes to stir things up a little bit, I think, and obviously yeah. he can take it, or he wouldn't keep doing it. <laughs> and, and he's, uh, 
and, and some people have fun with it, and some people seem to seem to take it a little bit more seriously than maybe they should. It is, after all, a pretty uh, a pretty minor thing. But uh, you know, just the general thing, like like um, I saw a mention that he scored the tying goal in the scrimmage yesterday right. with the goalie out, and uh, whoever wrote what I was reading, this may have been on the Oilers website, but they went out of the way to say that he got a big response from his teammates. And when I watched the highlight package, I mean, let's put it this way, his teammates responded more than Leon did on the winning goal. <laughs> yeah, they came in and they all gave him a pat. Yeah, and, and it was and it was good. I mean, that, that you got the, the big guy lurking around the net, jumping on a loose puck and pounding her home. That's what we all want to see, right? Uh, before we leave this topic, I just there was one thing that Maddie got was this like you know this constant why don't you retire you old man thing and he got that a lot and I just think that's just, like honestly mm-hmm. you know what maybe it's because you know Bruce we're both getting up there so I, we we I, I hear that now and then as well like whatever people want to say they're going to say but they need to think about something people who will not make comments about people's sex or their age because they, they want to be respectful and kind to other people and not stereotype other people. We'll make comments about people's age and engage in ageism. And I just think it's kind of disgusting, honestly. Like, I just think it's, make a better critique than that. If you're going to uh, criticize Jim Matheson, and, and my take on Jim Matheson, I hope he's still right. I've enjoyed his work for, was it since 1972? And I hope he writes another, like another 20 years for you, Jim. Keep doing this this work that you're doing. I love reading your stuff and keep at it. And I'll, and I'll add this. I follow another account I follow on tr- Twitter is Oilers Day by Day, which has just changed from 1980 to 1981. And they frequently in their de- sort of daily updates will post a picture of a column invariably written by Maddie uh, covering the Oilers of that day 40 years ago and chock-a-block with information and, and observation and quotes and, and you know, just just all kinds of tidbits and interesting things. I used to read those those on the print journal voraciously. I, would, I typically read Jim's uh, columns at least twice and and maybe more so than just sort of to, to internalize all of the news that was in there because every paragraph would have, you know, something different. Not always interesting, but, in, you know, lots of interesting stuff. And he, he was uh, the pipeline. I mean, we're talking about different days. No internet, obviously, and we didn't have anywhere near the different types of access that we have nowadays. So the uh, the uh, ink-stained wretches, as uh, they were once and maybe still are known, were uh, a vital pipeline of information for us and the fan base. And uh, I still retain plenty of ad- admiration for... Uh, I, I, I bet you I read like literally 100% of what, what Maddie wrote for a good 25 years straight. You've probably read more Jim Matheson of more of Jim Matheson's words than any other writer on earth. Is that a, is that a possibility? Yeah. I don't know. It's let's say, let's say, let's say a thousand words a day for, yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's just this daily input of new material, 30 to 40 years, Bruce. Mm -hmm. There's a chance. There's a chance. All right, let's move on. Yeah. Uh, The new lines on the Oilers, Bruce, a little bit of a shakeup. No, not much of a surprise at, the New Oilers lines. Cahoon's been moved up to play with Dry Settle and Yamamoto. Um, we have the Archibald Turris Puliyarvi line together with James Neal out, and we don't know how long he's out for. Um, that, that's, I think, the best news is actually for Chase on. Um, those two, I think, were in direct competition for a job. Uh, 
And uh, with Neil out, Chase on has that job for now. The so we have a fourth line of Ennis, the power play job, exactly. Mm-hmm. And maybe on the fourth line, Bruce. We have Ennis, Kara, and Chase on on the fourth line. Uh, so, uh, man, those are pr- four pretty good lines, eh, to start the year. You think about it. Like, Ennis and Chase on as your four, fourth line wingers. Now, I, I would rather have, you know, when Haas comes back, I want to see, he'll get his chance and we'll see if he can beat out JJ Kara. But Kara's, uh, you know, he has his moments. Let's just leave it at that. But other than, other than, I have a question about JJ Kara and that in the Oilers lineup still. But mm-hmm. other than that, like the third line, uh, Archibald Turris, Pliarvi in the second line, Cahoon, Drysdale, Yamamoto, RNH, McDavid, and Cassian on the first line. These are four. These are the four best lines the Oilers have had since 2000, the spring of 2006, and it's not even close. Yeah, yeah, there's lots to, there's lots to like there. I mean, they've got currently, especially with Neil out, they got more righties than lefties. So they moved Dave, uh, they moved uh, Josh Archibald over to uh, over to the left side with the uh, tourist Pulley pair, and I think Tourist and and, and uh, JP are going to be joined at the hip for at least the first 20 games, let's say, and maybe all season. Uh, and who's going to fit in best on the left wing? I mean, Ennis's name has been bandied around a lot, including by me, as an obvious fit there. But if they want to put a, a checker and, a, you know, a grinder and a, and a, and a little bit of a, of a disturber uh, on that line, I mean, that's Archibald's role. And, He's on his wrong wing, but the way things are shaping up, someone's going to have to be on the wrong wing. I mean, the Oilers have so many right wingers. You know, they last year they had five regular uh, right wingers, right? Cassian, Yamamoto, <clears throat> Chason, uh, Patrick Russell, and uh, who am I forgetting? Anyway, uh, uh, it was, and they brought back now Pugliarvi, and all of the other guys are still Yamamoto. there. Did you say Yamamoto? Neil. Yeah, Cassian, Yamamoto. Yamamoto. Neil, uh, yeah. Well, Neil was a left. Oh yeah, Archibald, yeah. Captain Yamamoto, Archibald, Chase on Patrick Russell, and yeah. Paul Yarby now. So six NHL veterans, and Paul Yarby is the new kid on the block. But he, of course, has been on the team before. So he's basically trying to push one of these veterans out of their position and take their spot. Thus, the pushing match with uh, Alex Chase on the other day. I imagine. Okay, Bruce, uh, let's quickly move on to the defense. There was a, a change there that was more interesting and in that it was a bit, mm-hmm. little bit unexpected, perhaps, and that we saw, and it's hard to know, was, it's not that hard to know, was like Tyson Berry demoted or was, was Slater Cuckoo uh, promoted? And I think Slater Cuckoo was promoted to play with Tyson Berry. Um, and Chris Russell was put with Evan Bouchard, although there's lots of good talk about Evan Bouchard right now coming out of camp. They really like him. Yep. Not not at all surprising. Evan Bouchard is ready, I think, for the NHL. And um, so, Bruce, they Cuckoo Barry, I just think what they want to do is um, they want to, I think they want to have different looks for different teams. There's going to be some games where they want more offense, more puck moving, mm-hmm. and they'll probably go with Cuckoo Barry. And then when they need more defense, they'll go with Russell Barry. Mm-hmm. But I think I think we're going to see Russell initially. I'd be surprised if we didn't. Although I would say uh, last year I did notice I'm a, I'm a, as big a Chris Russell fan on the Oilers I think is is out there maybe uh, you know there's lots of people detractors but had, there was there was a slip last year in his play I think mm-hmm. and he was still a very strong player but there was a bit of a I I noticed a bit of a slip 
uh, just not huge, but incremental. And maybe it's time for a younger player to step up and maybe we will see Cuckoo take on that role more and more as the year goes on. Well, it'll come down to performance, but they need Russell on the penalty kill, I think. Mm -hmm. So that's why I see him starting the year in the Oilers lineup. Your take? Well, Russell Barry is not, it's not a big pairing. That's for sure. So the way they have them lined up now, they have one bigger guy because Russell's of course with Evan Bouchard. And Bouchard's going to factor into playing games this year too. I'm pretty sure that he's going to uh, he's going to be in the rotation. Like he's going to start out as a fourth right defenseman, but uh, that's uh, that's not going to be an every night thing. Uh, but for now, they 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 moved Russell. Maybe they they want just wanted to see how Russell and Bouchard play together. Maybe the whole idea is to get these guys a little bit of time together and. So they don't just throw them out there, and all of a sudden, in game six of the season, you're putting uh, Cider Cuckoo and Tyson Berry together, and they've never had even a minute in practice together. So that you know they're just sort of fooling around with their options a little bit. So I wouldn't read too much into it, but uh, uh, I think uh, uh, I like Cuckoo's chances to be a pleasant surprise, and so uh, and him getting a shot with Tyson Berry is. Uh, uh, certainly not going to hurt his cause. Alrighty. Well, I think uh, I have to get running here, so let's leave it there, Bruce. I uh, Thanks for talking today. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult Hockey Podcast. <laughs>